It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. $25.7 billion. We have a spending cap agreement between the House and Senate budget leaders, Sky. Looks like a budget is going to be in the works for us. It is the beginning of the process. We do expect the Senate to act on forming their entire budget and having that out in the next week or so. Yeah, so the governor wanted $26.6 billion. The House wanted $26 billion. The Senate wanted $25.5 billion. Looking at the math, it looks as if the Senate may have gotten the edge in the spending cap negotiations. Yeah, something that has never happened before. The Senate (laughs) wins. Well, you know, so I talked to a budget chair this morning. And by the way, we're recording this on Thursday. And he said, look... We did get something out of this because the Senate was willing to not even have a budget. So the fact that we are working on a budget, really look at it that way, Brian. We are, we did get something out of these negotiations. I think that's true. The Senate was willing to wait it out. They were willing to do many budgets. They were willing to go home, it appeared. And Folks on the House side said, oh, they're just kidding about that. But we've all read the book before, (laughs) seen it happen. We know how it turns out. And it's that they usually follow through on their threats. So I would assume that they were willing to do those things. Which reminds me that we were having a conversation with someone the other day who said, I don't think the average North Carolinian even knows that they didn't pass a budget the last couple of years. You're regular people on the street who don't pay attention to this sort of inside baseball, Mm -hmm. if you will, don't know that there was no budget because services are still on. uh, The government is still running in North Carolina. It's hard for people to see that impact. What are you hearing about timeline of when this is all going to kind of come to fruition and we have this final spending plan? I think we've heard some different accounts of what is going to happen. We've heard late July, you've heard August. So it definitely doesn't seem like it's going to be by the beginning of the fiscal year, which is July 1, but it will be a few weeks later at the very least. A lot of news coming out of Greenville. The Republican Party here at the state level had their statewide convention. And the big news was that Former President Trump came to Greenville, and I think this was, was it his first speech Mm -hmm. since he left office? And so I think there was a lot of media there, a lot of folks interested in what he was going to say, and he made an endorsement in that race. The endorsement is current Congressman Ted Budd. He is out of the Guilford County area. Mark Walker, former congressman, was in the audience former Governor Pat McCrory in the audience. Lara Trump, the, the president's daughter-in-law, announces that she's not running at this time. She, she kind of floated the idea that she might look at a future run. 
But it was interesting to see the president makes this big announcement of Congressman Bud, and and you really started hearing it from uh, some complaints from the Walker camp. You heard some complaints from Governor McCrory. There was a shot taken at Governor McCrory by President Trump saying that he couldn't endorse a two-time loser. And so Governor McCrory says that that the president was ill-advised. But this race is really getting interesting, and we are it's only the beginning, right? It is going to be an expensive race. I've heard numbers as high as $300 million will be spent in this race. And many think that the race to be United States Senator is really in this Republican camp. It, it looks as if Republicans are going to have the advantage in 2022. Yeah, and I think as of right now, there are five folks in that race. We'll see if anybody else gets in. But there really is a ton of of news coming out about this race at all times. I think that Mercury tweeted shortly thereafter that speech that he has the name ID that the other folks have. Something like half of people polled recently don't even know who Ted Budd or Mark Walker are, and only like 11% of people didn't know who Governor McCrory was. Yeah, yeah, and, and President Trump, although he is a huge force within the Republican Party, doesn't have the strongest record in picking primary winners. Governor McCrory sounded very confident that he is going to win the primary and he is going to win the general election. And then, of course, Congressman, former Congressman Mark Walker is touting the straw poll where I think he won by double digits, but straw polls are straw polls, uh, and that is really among delegates to the Republican convention. So we're going to continue to monitor this race as well as the Democratic race. Doesn't seem to be a lot of news going on over there. Senator Jeff Jackson's doing his 100-county tour. Sherry Beasley is raising money. We will continue to follow this. Speaking of Congress, though, we had a couple visitors this week in the General Assembly. We did. Congressman Dan Bishop was in the building yesterday. We saw Congressman Madison Cawthorn in the building today. I think last week we saw Senator Tillis in the building. I mean, they're rolling in to the General Assembly in the last couple of weeks. And a lot of it for the members of Congress especially... They are very mindful that redistricting is happening later in the fall. And so what counties will be in your district, even what precincts are going to be in your district. And it's especially important because we've learned that we are going to have a 14th congressional district, which means the the pie is going to get carved up. And so if you're Madison Cawthorn, if you're Dan Bishop, you know that your district is going to change. So it is important that you make friends among the district drawers. And then, of course, we reported this, you know, in earlier podcasts. Madison Cawthorn, there's still this rumor out there that that Senator Chuck Edwards from Henderson County is going to challenge him in a primary. So we get a lot of questions from listeners. And one of the questions we recently received is about the skeletal session. The skeletal session in which the General Assembly is essentially gone from Raleigh. Maybe two or three members stay back to hold a skeletal session. And the question is, why do they do that? First, talk about the difference between um, a lot of folks use skeleton versus skeletal, which is correct. I say skeletal. What do you say? 
I don't know. Do you say physical note or fiscal note? I say fiscal note. I say fiscal note too. Wow. Congrats <laughs> to us for being so smart. <laughs> so can can you kind of walk us through and a lot of this happens on a on a holiday weekend. So Memorial Day weekend where the General Assembly will have adjourned on Thursday for all intents and purposes, but they will have a skeletal session on Friday. In the North Carolina Constitution, it specifically states that either chamber may motion or adjourn for a period not in excess of three days. So you have to have those skeletal sessions to meet that three-day threshold. Yeah. So Article 2, Section 20 of our North Carolina Constitution. Not to brag, but I know the exact section of the Constitution. I'm actually reading it off this piece of paper. Um, and, and the way it functionally works is two Republicans and one Democrat will stay back. They'll open up the session. They will approve the journal and they will make a motion to adjourn. Nothing happens. There's no law. The, the three of them can't get together. There's really no quorum for them to pass laws. But it generally is the legislators, if they live in Raleigh or represent Wake County, they usually have the task of doing the skeletal sessions for the House and Senate. And you often see a lot of photos from legislators who get to preside over one of those sessions, and that's generally a skeletal session. Yeah, yeah. So this week, Senator Berger made a comment to the media about he was willing to look at an idea from Senator Jim Bergen in Harnett County about looking at legislative pay. This idea from Senator Bergen would create a commission, an independent commission, to kind of look at North Carolina's pay and look at the national pay, what that looks like to get us up to speed. So it wouldn't be the legislators themselves doing that. That's right. So we we have had pretty much this pay for legislators since the 1980s. But it really has gotten to a point, right, where normal people can't afford to serve in the legislature. That's right. At $13,000, if you don't have a very flexible job, you are not going to be able to serve and also work another job. And the $13,000 is just not enough to live off of. So it presents a problem as to who can run for office and what you can do with that money. We've seen good legislators come in, they serve for a couple terms, and then they realize they just can't afford to do it anymore. That's right. I think Representative Dahl talked about that a little bit on the podcast. But also, I think that one of the issues with this is that we are considered a part-time legislature and we're really not. It's a full-time job. And when they are in session, you're there at least Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that really takes a huge chunk of your day job. Yeah. So we ask legislators all the time when they're, they're here on the podcast, what their magic wand is. This is one of my magic wand wishes is that we could increase the pay for legislators and make it a professional pay so that, you know, good, normal folks, middle class folks can afford to come down and serve without, you know, worrying about providing for their family. And I think both parties would benefit from this. We had the honor this week 
of speaking to Senator Todd Johnson. He sat down with us for a really fun conversation. It was really fun. He is a great storyteller, and we had a good time with him. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Todd Johnson, welcome to the podcast. You're from Union County. Can you tell us a little bit about your Senate district? Union County is a very unique place. We are truly a union of two different counties. We have two-thirds of our county are very rural. Uh, I think that they would even be considered tier one. Uh, A third of our county is um, suburban. Uh, we have we are home to the highest per capita income municipality in the state of North Carolina, uh, Marvin, North Carolina. The last, I mean, this figure is a little old, but uh, $175,000 per household. We have a lot of the Panthers and Hornets players and bank execs and stuff. So we are truly a home, a bedroom community for, for the Charlotte region. It's, it's a great place if you uh, love the rural life, you can live in the rural part. If you want to be more closer to Charlotte and have suburban life, you can have that. I, uh, I live in the rural part. I look out over cornfields and, and such and see tractors riding by. That's kind of my raising and how I, how I like it. You're a small business owner in sure. Union County. Can you talk a little bit about your businesses? Sure. Um, I work in a family-owned uh, insurance agency, and so my, my father started it, cut his teeth in Farm Bureau, and then in 1991, I was 13 at the time, in 1991, he went out on his own, formed an independent agency, and I was the little uh, guy that filed and swept the floor and did all the, the stuff, and, and even in 91, at 13, I was the computer guy, too, so you, okay. you know how it is now, now mm-hmm. my sons have to show me the computer and how to do certain uh, technological things that I'm not quite up to speed on, but so I've been around it my entire life, and then after graduating from Chapel Hill in 2000, <clears throat> went back to be in the family business, and uh, so from there, we've we ventured out from Wadesboro. I was actually born and raised in Anson County okay. and moved to Wadesboro or moved to Union County in 2000 when I graduated Chapel Hill and started an office from scratch there um, because dad said, you know, Anson County is too small for the both of us. You need to, I'll help you, but you need to venture out a little bit. And from then what we've done is I, I realized really quick that starting a business from scratch, as, as y'all know, mm-hmm. is very difficult, mm-hmm. especially in a very competitive market. And so um, I, I learned that, you know, buying businesses is a lot easier. So, okay. so through merger and acquisition, we've grown to sort of a regional agency with offices from Charlotte down to Laurenburg, oh, wow. kind of across that Southern mm-hmm. Piedmont area. And I've been doing that all my life. So I, I like to say I don't know a whole lot about everything, but I know a little bit about insurance because that's been my livelihood for, for my entire adult life. And it fed, even when I was at home, it helped feed me as a child too. And then also, um, so that's how I feed my family, but also I, I do uh, own and operate a, a small chain of uh, retail cigar shops. Okay. Uh, two in North Carolina, two in South Carolina. We've been doing that for about 11 years. My partner gets really grumpy when I say it's a hobby because he says, 
dude, it's not a hobby for me. It's how I feed my family. Quit saying that. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And, and it really has um, transitioned to a, a business that we have been so blessed to be a part of. We sell an experience. We sell, a, and I know this ain't a commercial. I'm just telling sure. you that industry is, it's it's a livelihood for folks that gives them a chance to get away from everyday life. And, and it brings a little, what I like to say, a little touch of luxury to people's lives for, yeah. for a small investment. And so uh, it, cigar lounges and shops make strange bedfellows. You'll have folks that you would never put together uh-huh. but when they come there it's it, the the one i like to tell is there's a there's a customer of ours he is a literally a dishwasher at a little short order grill uh-huh. and you bring in a computer guy who's worth millions of dollars and they carry on a conversation for an hour and then once a month they'll meet up and have a cigar together where in life would they have ever ever crossed paths yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, so it, it's a really cool in- industry to be a part of but uh i'll dabble in a lot of stuff i, I don't I, i'm i'm very i struggle to become content because i always want to hey that looks interesting let's mm-hmm. see what we can do in that space hey that's cool and somehow i bump my head and ran for office and I guess the people of Union County were crazy enough to send me up here and so I'm doing a little bit of this now. Yeah, yeah. You and I have spoken about cigars and, and you've, you've been very generous and, and shared a couple cigars with me. How did you fall into the cigar industry from the insurance industry? I've wanted to ask you this question for years. <laughs> it's now. a great question yeah. and I get that often and it's I think it's a pretty cool story. So in 2007 my wife and I purchased some land in Union County uh, to build a house on. And we bought it, I think, about four weeks before the bottom fell out. Mm -hmm. And so even today, I still own the land, and we still haven't built a house. (laughs) (laughs) So it's still there. Talk about a honey-do list. (laughs) But uh, a piece of the the, the line of the the land is uh, in Richardson Creek. That, that's the barrier of it. And so Richardson Creek, not that it matters, it's the widest, deepest creek in Union County. But so the contour of the land was very, you know, it was a rolling, so it was a perfect spot to have a walkout basement. So the agreement that I had with my wife is, honey, you can build whatever kind of house you want. You can design it however you want. I don't care if it's one story, two stories, small, bit. I don't care. You design the house. The basement's mine. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to put a little man cave down there, and, and I wanted a place with, with ventilation so I could smoke cigars inside. Well, once the bottom fell out and I realized that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. I uh, talked to a, bud, a couple of buddies, and I said, you know what? I, I get tired of smoking outside, especially in the winter and the summer. There's a place in downtown Monroe. The rent's really, really cheap. Let's just, I'll rent it, and we can all just kind of throw some chairs and a TV in there and I'll pass some keys around, and whenever we want to go have a cigar, we can go have a cigar. So we did that. And then after a little bit, some of the guys were like, man, I didn't bring my cigars. I was just swinging by. So we started kind of having some cigars there. And then we started, folks started hearing about this and started coming in. Hey, I want to buy some cigars. And it's like, we're not even set up. I'm not licensed to sell it. We're not Uh set up for this. And so somebody said, it's 10 bucks to get a license go get your license and then that way and it just kind of gradually then it, we never had hours and then somebody said well you need to at least establish some hours and, and so people would volunteer to just come and work the shop just to, it, and it just kind of grew from there yeah so it's really crazy and we stumbled into it and 
they, they went here we are today. So they're not teaching that at UNC MBA school. <laughs> yeah, not much. <laughs> not, not much. And, and, and funny you said the uh, UNC business school. I, I did apply to get into the business school. And uh, unfortunately, they were not very fond of my 2.419. So I ended up, <laughs> doing, <laughs> I ended up uh, doing management in society, which is also known as couldn't get into the business school. There you, go. there you go. So you started two companies and now you're in the Senate. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's, that's, you know, if you think about it, that's a lot of folks' stories. Yeah. Things just happen and it's wasn't planned. You, you have all these well-laid plans and how things are going to work and very rarely does that ever work out that way but in the end things work out and, yeah. and, and it works out for the better I've been very blessed very fortunate I'm married to my high school sweetheart oh. she was crazy enough to say yes and, and then we celebrated our 18th anniversary this past Monday and, yeah. and so two awesome kids two boys uh, we stopped because I was scared to have a girl <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, oh, I, I don't, I would not be a good dad to a girl because I would probably be in jail for roughing somebody. Up. Probably so. Probably so. So you were first elected to the Senate in 2018, and you kind of came into the Senate with a class of Republicans that I guess I would classify as the new Republicans in the Senate. Can you talk about that relationship you have with those folks and how y'all run legislation together? I'll tell you, I, you know, very few people, and y'all have been around this game a long time, and, and very rarely will you ever see somebody do something on their own. It, you really can't. The system's not designed that way, and, and rightfully so. It shouldn't be designed that way. Um, our class, I would put it up against any class. Mm. You've got a just a good spectrum of folks with a lot of different talents, You've got the outspoken loudmouths like myself. Then you've got other people that are what I like to refer to as kind of the silent assassins that can really be effective, but you're not going to hear a lot from them. And you've got folks from the medical field, the insurance field, the small business, the, the nonprofit side. You've just got a good spackling of, of different backgrounds. And we just meshed. And it was interesting because when we come together and we're going through orientation, which I couldn't imagine setting up orientation for government for, mm -hmm. for serving in the legislature because there's really no way to train people on how to do mm -hmm. this. I guess you're, you're really just establishing belts and suspenders for them. But when we go through this, and you, I picked up really quick, that's somebody I want to get to know. Mm -hmm. That's somebody I want mm -hmm. to get to know. And I'm even referring to the House side. You know, we kind of stay in our in our or we stay in our whatever that word is silos. Mm -hmm. We stay in those, but. But even working through orientation, you see there's some really good people. And, and probably, and, and again, you've got both chambers, but then both parties. I think the, the freshman class and the Democrats, I think you've got some really bright, bright folks with bright futures. And having the ability to come in with that class has been very eye-opening and very beneficial to me because of the relationships. And so what we decided <clears throat> real early on is, we understand the system is the system. And mm -hmm. so you can either come in and say, you know what, I don't like this system and we're going to fight to change it. Well, you're not going to change it. Mm -hmm. you got to understand that pretty quick. But what you can do is learn it and learn how to work through it to become effective. And so coming in with folks that had that same mentality, that weren't trying to, to burn the place down and, and all this stuff, 
they understood that it was important to build relationships. And I, and I give a lot of credit to my predecessor, Senator Tucker. He, mm-hmm. um, he sat me down real early and said, let me tell you what not to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what not to do is what I did. And so he said, I come in and it was, uh, I was, you know, pants on fire and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And he said, you know, I was in the basement for the first two or three years and no mm-hmm. legislation run, no, mm-hmm. no seat at the table. And he said, so don't do it that way. He said, listen to people that have been here for a while. They know it. And he said, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you, and I don't mind on the record saying it. I, one of the uh, people in the, in the General Assembly that I have one of the highest respect for is Senator Blue. And I've told him as such. I think mm-hmm. he is, his experience and his wisdom is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen to people that have been there. <clears throat> God give you two ears and one mouth for a reason. But also build relationships. So I took his advice to heart, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't run a lot of legislation. Quite honestly, you have such a short window and you don't really know what, mm-hmm. how it all works at that point in time. So I really tried to listen and develop those relationships. And from that, I think what you've seen uh, kind of going into our sophomore term is uh, the fruit of that labor and how we've been able to, to work together and bring what I feel is pretty good legislation mm-hmm. forward. And, and not just bring it forward, but actually get it signed into law, which is which is the ultimate goal. Can you talk a little bit about this practical problem-solving, Senator Johnson? I don't file bills to file bills. You know, every member at some point in time has needed to file a show bill for some, to, to appease somebody. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's no secret to that. But when I file legislation, I'm not going to just drop something out there for a while factor. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting legislation out, I'm really wanting to address an issue, and that's why before it's ready for prime time, I will speak to stakeholders across the spectrum, anyone that'll listen. It was funny because uh, I was working on another piece of legislation this year, and the first call I made was to the Justice Center. Oh, and, yeah. and, and talking to Rick, and I think you know, Rick and I ideologically are, are opposites, but I think Rick's a great guy, and yeah. he gave me great feedback, and we worked on some stuff together. I want to do the work on the front end because I feel like it's a lot easier to do it on the front end. And I also, being in insurance, understand that you have to look at things from a number of different angles. I'm not going to sit here and file the same bill just to beat my head over and over and over. Right. And that's why a lot of my conversations with, uh, with the rules chair and, and other members is this piece of legislation is not moving. Help me understand why. Because there's no sense in me continuing to try to push something if I know... And if I understand why it's not moving, it'll help me accept the fact as to why. And then I can say, all right, this angle's not going to work. Let me try another angle. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the mentality I've always had is, is try to figure out, here's where we want to go. There's a hundred different paths. Let's find out the one that's going to be the, the, the least painless for the most people, but also will get us to the ultimate goal. And uh, problem solving is just what I do, and it's, it's what it's it's the reason I'm here is to help people mm-hmm. and I've said it multiple times if if anyone bring, uh, brings an issue on a piece of legislation to me I will always say my goal is never to hurt anyone so if there's if you bring something say hey we got this issue all right let's fix it let's mm-hmm. let's find out what it and I don't care if you're the Justice Center or the Locke Foundation I don't care let's fix what this is so that we can get a, a good piece of legislation and if if everybody gives a little bit, Mm-hmm. then in the end, you're going to probably have a pretty good piece of legislation yeah. that has a chance to be signed into law. 
You know, that's really old school thinking. Sure. Well, <laughs> now, just uh, I, I, I try not to, to to wave this around too much, but I do serve on the Jesse Helms Foundation uh-huh. board. So, I understand. Um, in my mind, you know, Senator Helms was uh, was the uh, eternal deal maker, and sure. and he understood how how to get things done. To a lot of folks dismay and they didn't like it yeah. but he did he he was kind of the king of the deal and he could could really bring folks together and a lot of that, that's why when you look some of his closest friends were polar opposites yeah. in in the in the senate and it was just a good role model from that perspective and and so i feel very fortunate to serve on that and um and to, just to read about him and how he was able to do things tried to glean as much as i could from that and um but being effective is more important than just being here. Right. I, I don't want to. I've got two kids at home and a wife, and if I'm just going to be here just to be here, I'm just going to go home. The thirteen nine fifty one doesn't. You know, that doesn't get me excited. I so. hear you. I hear you. We ask everyone this question, so if you've listened, I'm sure you know it's coming. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our political landscape today, what would it be? If I could fix one thing, it would definitely be the the absence of civil discourse and the ability to have conversations with folks. Uh, you find it uh, you find it more outside of the public eye, and you find it sitting across the table from from someone who has a polar opposite view of you. I like to tell the story. One of my closest, a very close friend of mine, he is a Duke fan, an atheist, and a socialist. Oh, wow. I'm a Carolina fan, a Christian, and a conservative. <laughs> but the ability for us to have conversations and, and meaningful conversations, yeah. I think that's missing today. Um, the, day, the old days of, of people on different sides of the aisle, especially you see it in D.C., um, maybe not as much here, but I just think not even in the political space, but outside of the, you know, mm-hmm. the social media firmly believe it's the devil and and what it's done to to civil discourse but if i had a magic wand i'd I'd love for folks to be able to have conversations disagree then go have a beer or have a steak and not worry about it and and don't let it be personal maybe we just need to all go to your cigar shop i'm telling you it's the secret (laughs) sauce man it'll bring it all together if i've always said if you're going to have a contentious relationship fire up a cigar and watch what happens what's your cigar shop called Okay, it's hard to remember. Okay. So if you have you got your pen ready, it's very hard to remember. It's, 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 it's a stroke of genius. The Cigar Shop. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, The Cigar Shop. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me one time, they said, yeah, um, I'm going down to Myrtle Beach where we've got a shop. I'm going down to Myrtle Beach. What's the name of your cigar shop? I said, yeah, The, the Cigar Shop. Yeah, The Cigar Shop. What's the name of it? The Cigar Shop. Uh, yes, that's it. What's the name of it? Yeah, so, kind yeah. of the who's on first game. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Some a cigar called what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, Senator Johnson, we so appreciate you being on the podcast. We appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. And thank you, sir. Well, I appreciate it. And, and thanks for having me. I will tell you, I'm never, ever going to be as exciting as Danny Britt from Robinson <laughs> County. Um, but but Danny is, is a good friend of mine, and, and he does some really good stuff for his community. But he is always going to be more exciting. So I, I apologize in advance for that. Oh, you're very excited. You're not drinking a protein shake. But maybe we can have you on the 
how I know Danny Britt podcast. Yes. But if he if he ever <laughs> finds the monsters in the aisle, stay out of his way. <laughs> monsters are Red Bull. If he ever starts on that path, I don't know if I can be around him. <laughs> All right, so I think we should take a road trip and go down to Union County and visit Senator Johnson's cigar shops. You would think that. <laughs> So you and I are working with them on a couple bills. We're working with them on some uh, firefighter cancer bill. We're working with them on an ABC bill where we're asking them to make some changes. Fun guy to work with, right? He is. He is really easy to talk to and easy to be around and really works on compromise. And I think it's a, it's a positive way to look at legislation. He's not too uptight, doesn't take him te- himself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this opportunity for us to maybe strike it rich because we got our vaccines, Sky. What's, what's going on with the, with the governor's announcement this week? So in about an hour, the governor will have a press conference and he's going to announce that there will be a cash drawing for folks who've been vaccinated in North Carolina. So what would you do with the money? They pull your name, Sky. How much money is it? I don't know, $10 million, $20 million? I don't think it's 10 or $20 million. All right, well, Maybe I would be able to have a beach house by you. (laughs) That would be nice, huh? That would be great. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, I'm sure it would be just a ball for everybody. (laughs) We could do the podcast from the beach. Yeah, we need to spend more time together. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sky, what is in store for us next week, assuming that your name is not called and, you know, you don't win $100 million and, and, and we have to be at work. What, what, what can we expect at the General Assembly next week? First of all, you can expect that even if I do win $100 million, I'll still be around to annoy you. I will still be here. Um, but we do expect that first version of the Senate budget to roll out. Mm-hmm. And I think things will be centered around that. There's some agency bills that are moving. Farm Act. Oh, yeah. The Farm Act is moving in the House. It was for discussion only yesterday, which is a big debate every year. Yeah. You know, it seems to always be one or two provisions. Last biennium, it was around marijuana, THC. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah. This this year, it's around this this labor discussion, and, and a lot of folks are weighing in, including the governor. I think there's a biogas provision as yeah. well that is a little bit controversial. Yeah, so we're going to see that move. And we, we have seen, ever since the agreement on the spending cap, we are seeing the chambers take up each other's bills. So that log jam seems to have been loosened up a little bit. Rumor on the street is that you are about to become an empty nester. It is true. It is true. Our two kids, Isabel and Alan, are graduating from high school. Alan graduates tomorrow morning. And Isabel graduates Saturday afternoon. They are going off to college, Sky, and suddenly it's going to be Julie and I and the three dogs. Still a large family. Yeah, the dogs are great. <laughs> uh, not We are going to miss the kids, but yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's, it's like this new phase in my life. Yeah, and I've, 
It just feels in so many ways that I just graduated from high school. And now, sir, I'm, you are about to be 50. I am about to be 50, but it feels like just yesterday I was in high school. It's just, it's going to happen to you in five minutes, Sky. You are going to be 49 years old looking at 50, and I'll be 70. Time. <laughs> it's so wild. Yeah, big changes for us, but we'll make it. You know, the kids still need us because someone's got to be that tuition. I really missed you this week while at the building. You were out of the General Assembly for about a day and a half, fulfilling your other responsibilities as a general counsel for the North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Yeah, there was no one there to berate you. Yeah, no one there. But I got a lot done, you know? (laughs) I made the rounds. I had Christy Jones. We had our new intern who started this week, Brandy Fuentes. She's great. We got a lot done. But yeah, it was people asked where you were because they, they're used to seeing us walking the halls together. But yeah, it was kind of having someone make not make fun of my clothes. I kind of missed that. And yeah, is this, this is an open calling to make fun of Brian's clothes if he's alone. Yeah, you feel free. Well, that is our podcast for this week. We want you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, help listeners find us. We hope you have a relaxing weekend and a great week ahead. And remember to do politics better. Yeah. No, he's I not mean, sure. Yeah, because we could very well take this upstairs and say, "Shit, this is still John Bell." Huh? <laughs> <laughs>